Praise God, you guys. I'm uh, sorry for you live streamers. Usually if there's testimonies and stuff, I'll share a little bit so you guys can follow along. Um, but uh, we just kind of got a scattered shot of a few pretty quick ones. So that was beautiful. It's great to see everybody. Uh, we've been going through 1 Timothy chapter 4. I've been having a great time in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Thanks, Josh. Josh is a man of all kinds of trades. <laughs> uh, and we've been going through 1 Timothy, but I'm really excited about going through the next few verses of 1 Timothy. But I've taken a detour uh, from Timothy to another message I want to preach today that I think you'll will really ble be blessed by. I really think it'll hopefully really encourage your walk with the Lord, really encourage your prayer life, uh, your understanding of this particular prayer, which is the most prayed prayer on the planet, uh, which we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you know, you could also call it the Disciples' Prayer because it's a prayer that Jesus probably never, well, I'm sure he never prayed, you know. Except, I, he, he probably prayed every component of this prayer except one part, you know. Yeah, forgive us our sins. When he got to that part, he probably said, if he prayed this prayer, then he amended it and prayed, forgive them their sins, <laughs> you know, as they forgive their, uh, those who sinned against them. Because Jesus never sinned. So uh, he went to pray to forgive us our sins. But it's interesting because this is the prayer that he gives to his apostles. He gives to his disciples. And Father, again, be with us and fill us with your spirit. He gives to his disciples in request to a, from a question they ask, Lord, teach us how to pray. And you never see them say, Lord, teach us how to teach. Lord, teach us how to do miracles. Lord, teach us how to cast out demons. They said, Lord, teach us how to what? pray. Okay. That's in Luke. And here in Matthew, I want you to go to Matthew 6. We don't see that question posed, but we see that Jesus taught this more than once, which shows us the importance of this prayer. I think you could still call it the Lord's Prayer because it's the, Lord, it's the prayer the Lord gave us. And I know he prayed elements of this prayer, at least uh, that the Father's name would be hallowed because we see that elsewhere in his prayer life. And he patterned life as to how we are to live life as well. Amen. Now, it's interesting because this prayer, and I'm going to go through the entire prayer. I've gone verse by verse through this prayer. I've gone phrase by phrase. We've had a several part series on this prayer many moons ago. Uh, so we're not going to go verse by verse because then we would be outside of 1 Timothy 4, right? Uh, for too long. And I want to get back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. But I do want to discuss this prayer and I want to go through it in its entirety. So you kind of get the full picture, right, in one feasting, which is also really awesome as well. And I also want to give it to you with an end-time slant, an end-time viewpoint, because I've, as I pray this prayer, and this prayer I prayed, you know, more than most Catholics, I'll just say that, okay? I don't pray it repetitiously like Catholics where they pray, Our Father who art in heaven, they pray it again in the rosary over and over again like that. I do pray certain parts, again, not to be heard of God, because Jesus told us not to pray like the pagans repetitiously. But I feel if my mind wanders, right? I'm praying at night, and, and I'm praying about a certain part, and then, I, and then my, my, I, I, all of a sudden I pray a part, and all of a sudden I, oop, i I got to think about that part I'm praying right now. So I'll say that part over again, Lord. So I own that part in my heart to pray earnestly before the Lord. You know, uh, it's kind of like someone's talking to you and then their mind wanders off and they're just talking and they're not paying attention or even thinking about what they're saying, you know. That's not a very good conversation, right? So I want to make sure the Lord sees my heart. So, but I pray this prayer sometimes, several times throughout the day and the night. 
And so if you look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, we have what we call the Lord's Prayer. And what I'm saying to you, I want to look at it from an end time perspective. I want to show you guys that I really believe that when Jesus gave this prayer, remember when Jesus dealt with the instructions he gave the apostles, he constantly not only dealt with them in the here and now and what they were presently going through, but he constantly was preparing them for the future. And when you look at this prayer, it's a prayer that also has very much the future in mind and various things that the church would encounter, making sure that we're prepared not only to get through the day, but that we're also prepared to face the future. I believe this prayer is going to be prayed more than it's ever been prayed in the end times. And I believe people are going to see the relevance of this prayer even more in the end of days. And so as we look at this, every phrase you're going to see, every, every request can have an end time application. And some of the requests, you know, have specifically an end time interpretation and application. Not that it can't be an application also to the present, but a lot of it is, has to do with the end of days. And this prayer, as we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are moving into a time period where things are getting darker and darker, should become more and more precious to you. Especially when the scriptures say in Hebrews 10.25, not, it's a warning not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, right? But gather together all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching, amen? So even as fellowship is supposed to increase among true believers in the end of days because we need to be together more and more, I mean, there's going to be a time where they're going to cut off believers from the system. And most believers are not at all ready for that. BlackRock, which is the highest, the, the most, you know, prestigious, the most, it's the hugest hedge fund in the world. They have like $11 trillion they're managing of other people's money for the most part, right? And they're the ones that are, that the CEO of, of BlackRock, Fink, what an interesting name for this guy. His name's Fink, F-I-N-K. Uh, he said, you know, before uh, with regard to transgenderism and stuff, they want to use their money. He said, we need to force companies to change their behavior. Okay, and you see some of that going on right now, right? I mean, when the, U when, the, when the Ukraine, if they end up getting their country, you know, restored, that will be the hedge fund. It'll be BlackRock that sees that happen. That's how big they are. But they want to force behavior upon us. And we also know that they're trying to go digital. And we know the 666 system under the Antichrist is coming in the future and so forth. And a lot of believers are smug just thinking, we're just going to get raptured out of here. Don't have to be concerned about the future when, you know what? We need to be praying about the future. We need to recognize that Jesus said, my wife was just saying, I was just going through Matthew or John chapter 15. We were talking yesterday. And she goes, it's just amazing. She goes, I was talk, reading about you know, Jesus and the, you know, the, the, the vine and the branches. And then she was reading further in, and she was talking about 15, 18, uh, where Jesus says, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. If they persecuted me, the master, how much more are they going to persecute you, you, the servants, right? So he prepared us, and she was talking about, it's amazing how he's letting us know these horrible things can happen to us, and they have, have been happening to the church for 2,000 years. We happen to live in a country that's an anomaly. United States, New Zealand, Australia, these countries that haven't had persecution against Christians is an anomaly compared to many of the places that the Christians live. You just try to live in the Middle East and, and lift up the name of Jesus in certain areas or in, in China, right? 
or in certain areas like the former Soviet Union at the time and a lot of their satellite countries that were under the USSR. Uh, a lot of Christians here, they just don't have a heritage of being persecuted so they don't see it coming. And it's important that we get this prayer down and we pray this prayer not just for the sake of future and future persecution, but because it's incredibly relevant to today as well. Amen? And that's the reason most people pray this prayer. But I want to show you there's also an end time uh, advantage that you have if you're praying this prayer because it has to do with the end of days as well. So I better get busy. <laughs> I better get busy because uh, I want to get through all of this prayer. And guess how many petitions there are in the Lord's Prayer? Seven. Seven petitions. What's seven the number of? Number of completion or spiritual perfection. Uh, it's a, the number of per perfection throughout Scripture. Seven sayings that Jesus gave on the cross, right? Seven petitions right here as well in the Lord's Prayer. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, right? Seven colors of the rainbow, seven days of the week, seven notes to musical scale. It's not only in nature and in music, uh, but it's throughout Scripture. There are several sevens that are used. Seven days to a week, the Lord ordained. Isn't it interesting that all over the world, most cultures have a seven-day week? I mean, why would you have a seven-day week? Why not 10-day week or two-day week or 34-day week? It comes from the Scripture. Quite interesting when you think about it. But there's seven petitions in this prayer, and they're all important. In fact, let's go to Matthew chapter 6, and let's read in verse 9. Pray then in this way, Jesus says. And by the way, let's back up one verse. So do not be like them, meaning the pagans. Why? Because in verse 7 he says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. And just don't say things. Right? Don't do it over and over and over again, as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You don't have to say it a thousand times in a row. Which is ironic, because then He tells them to pray the Our Father, but then the Catholics do the exact opposite. They get the rosary and they pray all these Our Fathers in a row, to where they just try to get through them after they're told to say this many Hail Marys, this many Our Fathers. And usually, if you look at the rosary, it has way more, way more Hail Marys, necromancy, praying to the dead, which we're forbidden to do, by the way, than it does the Our Fathers. But we are to pray this way. Verse 9, pray then in this way, says the Lord Jesus Christ, our Father who is in heaven. Now, that's not a request yet, but that word is just imbibed with, that little phrase is imbibed with meaning. And I can't spend a lot of time on either. I'm not even into the request yet, so I have to be really, really careful here uh, because I've got to get through this before this, my time is up. But that little phrase, our Father who art in heaven or are in heaven, is huge. Just that first word, our, in the Greek, it's actually the Greek order, word order is Father, our. Okay, but we're going by the English. But just the word our. I remember, and I did a whole teaching on our one time, and I won't do a whole teaching on our based on this prayer, but uh, I'll just say this, is that when I was a brand new Christian, and this prayer finally meant something to me, and I began to pray, Our Father, I didn't know any Christians, no Christians had led me to Christ, and I was praying, Our Father, and I'm like, who is our when I'm praying? Because I just know myself as a Christian, Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. And I thought, you know what? I'm a new Christian, but 
I know it's not the Roman Catholic Church. When I was a little kid, they take me to catechism and to the Catholic, and I became a stoner and a druggie and a brawler and everything bad, you know. And I knew when I became a Christian from reading Jesus, from reading the Bible, and just reading it and coming across passages like "Don't call anyone father," meaning "Don't call men father." That's a religious title. And don't pray meaningless repetition. I'm like, man, all this stuff is against the Catholic Church that Jesus taught. No wonder the Catholics banned the Bible for so many years during the Dark Ages and so forth. So I'm like, I'm praying, Our Father, who are the true Christians? And praise the Lord. There's millions of them that love Jesus. Amen. And I realize I've got a family out there. So you guys are part of a big family. And I love the fact that he says, Our Father, because right away it taught me, Joe, don't just pray for yourself. Pray for other people. Amen. Pray for your church family. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I pray our Father, I'm not just praying for my local church family. I'm praying for millions of people on the earth. Isn't that amazing? You're praying for millions of believers, our Father. And by the way, he's our Father. You're not praying for non-believers when you say our Father. You're praying our Father who are in heaven. You're praying to the Father who is in heaven. And you're praying our Father. And it's a lie when people teach in universalism, which is also taught by many, many people that we're all children of God, that we're all going to heaven when we die. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Jesus said to some of the most religious people on earth, to the uh, religious leaders, the Jewish religious Pharisees and stuff, in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the what? The devil, okay? So the scriptures warn that people that do not follow the Lord, that reject the Lord Jesus Christ, that make themselves their own gods, are involved in the occult, or involved in false religions, and reject salvation, and believe that they can do it their own way or through some religion, and reject the Lord Jesus Christ, the scriptures are clear that those folks are of the devil. You are of your father the devil, he said. The scriptures tell us to be part of God's family, we must accept Christ. We must be born again. To, into his family. John 3.3, 3, John 3.5, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. John 1.12, as many as received him, he gave the authority or the right to become the children of God. Amen? Romans 8.14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Okay? You have to be born again. You have to receive Christ. You have to be led of the Spirit. If you're, led of the, if you're born again and you're led of the Spirit, you are a child of God. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 8 for 10, through 10, it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. They're obvious. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. But he that practices sin is of the devil. It says it right there. Clear as day. So it's important that we understand this is a prayer for believers, for Christians. Our Father who art in heaven, and he is in heaven. Amen? Amen. I've already taken way too long on this verse on this first part, because I'm not even at a request yet, but our Father who art in heaven, praise God, He is in heaven. Understand, He is transcendent. He is above all things. We've said recently, the Scriptures say, that, that God cannot, that the heavens can't contain God. And it says the heaven of heavens cannot contain Him. That's how big He is. Think about that. we got a massive God. He's bigger than the universe. Okay? And that's, that's good to know, amen? Our Father who art in heaven, to know we got an awesome God because we can take our, our needs to him and he cares about us, amen? Because Jesus said of our Father in heaven, he knows every hair on our head, amen? He says he sees the sparrows when they fall to the ground and they die. He says, and they're, they're worth much to him. They're, they're, they're worth, they, he cares about them. He values them. But they're sold just for a few cents. 
you know, a couple pennies. But he says, of how much more value are you than them? Amen? He cares about you more than little sparrows. And he goes to their funerals. He cares that much about them. He sees them when they die, and he cares for them. How much more does he care for you? You have a father who loves you. You have a father that cares about you. Amen? But he's only your father if you've accepted Christ, you've received forgiveness of sins, and have been born again into his family. Jesus, your mother, your brothers and sisters are out there waiting for you. Who is my mother, and who are my brothers, and who are my sisters? But those who hear the word of God and keep it. Amen? Amen. So if you're in rebellion to God, you cannot be calling him your father. You need, like the prodigal son, to come back to him. And for the, so the father could say, my son was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. And have a living relationship with our Father in heaven. So the first request, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Most people don't have a clue what that means. In fact, I just saw somebody played for me. It's just kind of ironic. It was like three or four days ago. Was that you, Josh? Somebody played for me a hallowed be thy name uh, on the street kind of thing where people were being asked that knew the prayer, what does this mean when you say hallowed be thy name? And they're like, was that you, Josh, that played that for me? Uh, it was a few days ago, so someone did. And I thought it was pretty, it was, it was funny and sad at the same time. They were clueless. It was. His thumb just went up, so it was Josh. Hey, Josh, maybe you could find that. That was pretty cool. I don't know if you could find that on YouTube or not. You're kind of relaxed back there. If you, if you, if you got time back there, you know. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And they were clueless what it meant. And you know what? Before I was a Christian, I, had a, I was clueless what it meant too. And when I was a new Christian, I'm praying, praying, hallowed be thy name. I bet I was still clueless the first time I said it. The first, so many times I prayed that prayer. So I looked into it. What does it mean that his name would be hallowed? Well, guess what? He already is holy. In fact, the Bible says that the seraphim sing around his throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen? So he's already holy, but guess what they're doing? They're singing and saying, yes, you are holy. They're hallowing his name. They're making it known that he's holy. Amen? So when we pray that prayer, we're saying, God, show that you're holy. Show that you are holy. And now when we think of holiness, we think of righteousness often. We think of holiness in the sense that we think of, uh, when we talk about holiness, we think of, of uh, separation. We think of the word hagias in the Greek, which means to be separated from evil. It means to be separate from that which is evil and consecrated to God in this biblical context. So we want to be, so we pray, hallowed be thy name. We're praying, Lord, show people that you are separate from evil and that you are, you, but we're, when we speak of his holiness, it's more than just you or us or, or a temple implement being set aside for God's purposes. God is holy in a way that none of us are holy. Now we're called to be holy as he is holy in 1 Peter chapter 1. So we're called to emulate him and follow him as his example. But he's holy, so we can be holy like he's holy in this way, that we can be separate from that which is evil, right? But there's a way we can't be holy that he's holy, because he's holy, holy, holy. He's what we say in theology, he's ontologically holy. He's transcendent above all else. He's the uncreated creator of everything. He alone possesses immortality in and of himself. He is the great I am. Amen. He dwells in unapproachable light. He's incredibly awesome and radical. And there's none like him, the scriptures say over and over again. There's none like him. Amen. So we want to show that there's none like him. We want to show that he stands above all else as the uncreated creator of everything. Amen. And that he is perfect in all of his attributes. And that he is worthy of praise. And worthy to be worshipped. And worthy to be adored. Worthy to be honored. Worthy to be fallen before. Worthy to serve your entire life. Amen? That's how we ought to be serving him. 
because he's an awesome God. And because he's holy, we ought to be holy in the sense of being separate from evil. Because the word of God says without holiness, no one will serve, or no one, I'm sorry, will be saved. No one will see the Lord. It literally says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. So we have to make sure that we are seeking to follow him truly, genuinely from the heart, sincerely, sincerely following Jesus in faith. And, and, be, and by the way, when you are holy and being made holy by his Holy Spirit, and you're trusting him and you're following him, guess what? You're showing, your, people are seeing a difference in your life. You're pointing to him saying, he's holy. He's holy. People say, what's going on in your life? I mean, you've changed. I mean, wow, what in the world? Pray, they don't say praise God, but they're like, what's going on? This is our believer. You say, yeah, God's changed my heart. I'm a new person. Jesus lives in me. Glory be to God. Amen. You start to give God glory. So you show that he's holy by the way you live your life. But you're not just, so when you're praying, hallowed be thy name, one of the things when I pray that prayer, I apply that to my life and I say, Lord, help me live a life that's holy, that shines your light so people can see how awesome you are. Amen. So one thing, we pray for that prayer. When we pray that prayer, expect him to sanctify you more and make you more hagias or more holy so you can reflect his light and show his holiness. Amen. But ultimately, one day, he's going to show his holiness in all the world, just as Egypt was worshiping all these false gods. Amen. And then they realized who the one true God was. Amen. One day, the world is going to see our God reigns. Amen. And his holiness will cover the earth, it says, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. So that from the very get-go, this prayer is openly answered when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed. Amen. And, and the Father is glorified, and he rules on this planet. So right from the get-go, there's an end-time co context. In fact, think about this. Hallowed be thy name. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. So we do not use the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ as a cuss word. Amen? We don't use it in a cavalier way. We don't use it in a mocking way. Okay? Uh, one of the Ten Commandments is not to use his name in vain. So this is really, really critical. And it's also important. This is a very, very important part of the prayer. This first request, everything flows from this, that his name is to be made holy. We're to declare him as holy. And we're praying that he, this is a prayer, keep in mind. This is a prayer that you're saying, Lord, show yourself as holy. May your name be magnified and glorified in the earth. And one day, every knee will bow. Amen? And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You know how important this prayer is? Is I notice when what the, the Lord's prayer that is literally the prayer the Lord prayed in John chapter 17, you know what he was talking about there? He talked about Father. He wanted to glorify the Father's name. Same thing we're seeing here. In fact, look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And when you get there, just go ahead and start with me at Verse 1, John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may what? Glorify you. See, when you're wanting the Father to be glorified, when you're saying hallelujah, your name, you want to glorify him in your life. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to whom you have given him, he may, have, he may give eternal life. This is the eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory with which I had with you before the world was. Look at verse 6. I have what? 
I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Go to the very end of this prayer, verse 26. The very end of the prayer, look what he says. And I have made your what? I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He makes the Father's name known. And then his disciples throughout the earth. And now the name of the Lord is known throughout the earth. And his name is being glorified. Amen. So this prayer is getting answered as we pray and as we glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it has, as I mentioned, the name of this message is called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer in the last days. You can call it the Lord's Day for the last days. I'm letting you know this also has not only, everybody teaches us a present day aspect for the most part. But I think a lot of people miss that this prayer is pivotal to perseverance of the saints in the end of days when they face Antichrist as well. Or when you face persecution even before the Antichrist comes. In fact, it's interesting. Whose name is going to be exalted during the tribulation period? Whose name is going to be, whose name is everybody going to be talking about? In fact, it's going to be so popular that they're going to, people are going to wear his, this guy's name on their right hand or on their forehead. And they'll be buying and selling with the name of his name on their right hand or forehead. Or the number of his name. They'll have a choice. They could take the name of this antich the Antichrist or the number of his name. In fact, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, it says, And he causes all the small and the great to free the bond, the rich and the poor, to be given a mark either on the right hand or their forehead, and that no one could buy or sell unless he has a number of the, the name, the number of the beast, it says, or the name of the number of the beast, which is 300, or I'm sorry, 603 score and six, or 666. So guess what? Guess who doesn't want God to be glorified? Satan. Guess who wants to be worshipped as God? Satan. Why do you think on the Temple Mount, where the Satan is going to eventually sit in the temple of God, show himself that he is God, he says he'll exalt himself above all that is called God or is worshipped as God? Because Satan wanted that from the beginning. He exalted himself above. He wanted to exalt himself in the sides of the north. Amen? Isaiah chapter 14. He wanted to take God's spot. He wasn't content to be an angel. He wanted to become God, which he never could become God. He said, I want to be like the Most High God. He was you know, boom, cast out. He saw his access to accuse us, but he can't get worshipped in heaven. So on the earth, he seeks to get worshipped. And guess what? On the Temple Mount to this day, with, with the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Golden Dome, the dome of, uh, dome of the Rock, you have a saying, Allah is God, and he has no son. That's not. The Bible says, he that denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist. They deny the Father and the Son right there. Because he has no son, there's no son there. And if Allah has no son, he's not the father. He's not the one true God, amen? And the Quran denies the trinity of God. And Islam is antichrist. Just saying it straight out, it really is. Joe, you could lose your head for that. Absent from the body, present with Jesus, praise you, Lord. Amen? You mean you don't mind? That'd probably be kind of painful. I wouldn't want to feel it, but praise the Lord. I get to go be with Jesus forever. Amen? But it's interesting because the Antichrist will reign and everybody will have to take their, his name. They're going to have to identify with him. By the way, remember how we kept talking about the number seven? Talking about the number seven over and over again? In Scripture, there's seven requests in the Lord's Prayer. Right? But what's the number of the Antichrist? 666. It's kind of interesting because uh, the, the Antichrist, just like the name holy, 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 three times, for emphasis, isn't it interesting the Antichrist number, the number of his name is the emphasis of six, six, six. It's the number of a man. Man's made on the sixth day. 
Now I'm telling you right now, and I think this is important uh, that we understand how serious all this is, is that uh, the, the number six is, you know, number in itself isn't evil, it's just a number, you know. But when you use it and you display it and glorify it as something special, especially like the number six, it can become idolatrous, obviously. But six, I've told you before, isn't it interesting that in Scripture, uh, I mean, right now, it's interesting, we have, a very, we have an affront against God in our country where people are promoting right now transgenderism like never before. It's like people are going like insane before our eyes, acting. I, I, I gave you an example some time ago of the emperor, that, that story, the emperor has no clothes. And the little boy says, the king's naked because his tailor, I mean, they're trying to get out of a pickle and they just give him some invisible clothes and say, oh, you look great. And he's like, I'm naked. Goes, oh, I guess I have clothes on. Everybody thinks I have clothes on. He goes out and prays himself. And so he's clothed. And the little boy says, the emperor has no clothes. You know? And guess what? We all see the emperor has no clothes. A, a man is a man. A woman is a woman. Right? You're either XX or XY chromosome. Right? They're made to be together. Male and female create babies. They don't promote diseases, which is what happens so often when you put two sexes together and you often short your lifespan. And it's just interesting to me that we're in this, this situation right now where wokeism is just like a disease taking over the planet, man. And a lot of people are against it, recognize it's wrong, recognize it's not, doesn't, doesn't even make common sense, not only unbiblical, right? But you don't have to understand the mysteries of God to understand that certain things are wrong. In fact, guess what? A little boy... Little boys, I think they were like, I don't know, 13 years old or so. Two boys in the UK, their teacher it's on tape, where was upbraiding them because one of them said, you know, that a, a guy is a guy, a girl is a girl, and she threatened to kick them out of the class, and that she's upset because one boy says, you can't just identify and say you're a cat. And she's like, you're going to offend people. You can't talk like that. You know, and it's like, this is a little, I thought, wow, I used a long time ago the knowledge of, a, of the little boy, emperor have no clothes. And I just read an article about that this morning. It was the front page of one of the news sites I was on. Like these two boys are getting in trouble from the teacher and who tried to kick them out of the school if they didn't recognize the transgenderism and even lycanthropy. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, you know? Thought he was an animal for some time. That was God's judgment. Okay. And uh, it's just crazy. But when you think about this, guys, uh, by the way, this is called so-called, I don't call it this, but people call it, you know, Gay Pride Month, right? Get a whole month of the year. You know, I can't wait for Christian Month. What, what month is Christian Month? Every day. Yeah, for us it is, but not in the media, not in the popular world it's not, right? But every day is the day we give to the Lord, right? But you know what? In the world it's like, interesting, you know, how many people are, you know, are truly homosexual? How many people are transgender, Right? Yet, if you call yourself a Christian, the name of Jesus, by the way, is now a cuss word. The name of Jesus is said in public by far and away more as a cuss word than with honor and glory. When's the last time you saw a movie or a TV show where they lift up the name of Jesus in a positive, encouraging way? Have you? <laughs> but you can hear it in a lot of bad ways. And that's heartbreaking, you guys. In fact, it's interesting to me that I pointed this out before, but I just think it's interesting that the, the rainbow has seven colors. But the gay rainbow only has six colors. I don't think that's an accident. They said, oh, well, the printer couldn't print all seven colors. Well, how come ever? I've seen it printed everywhere, you know? Oh, by the way, Pride Month, 
Landell has a really cool track, by the way. If you want to get some tracks on pride, I grabbed some of those. They're just little cards, but they talk about how the Bible says pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And it's interesting. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, it lists the sins of Sodom, the reason God, God destroyed it. You know what the first sin is mentioned? Pride, it says. It says they're pride. And now it's not just out of the closet. It's in your face. And if you don't accept it and let your little kids be subjected to it, you're a hateful bigot. Wow, no, how about I just love God and I want my children to grow up, understand the difference between male and female, understand God made us in his image and he created us for procreation. He created us to love him and obey his word. And that is way off the spiritual rails and off the physical rails and biologic rails and everything. Now it's interesting because when you look at the number of the Antichrist, I think there's, there's typology, there's pictures of Christ. We always talk about the pictures of Christ. But as you know, there's pictures of Antichrist as well. You know, who are some of the pictures of Antichrist that you could think of? We've been talking about Pharaoh off and on through Revelation. But how about, how about uh, Goliath? How about Goliath? When David was fighting Goliath, and Jesus is the son of David, amen? David was a picture of Christ, a shepherd like Jesus, Amen. And I won't go to all, there's so many pictures of, in David's life that are a picture of Christ that were in typology, you know. But it's interesting, when he fights Goliath, it's a radical picture of Christ. And notice it says in chapter 17, verse 4, Then a champion, speaking of Goliath, came out from the armies of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So how tall was he? Six cubits a cubit could be around three feet tall or three feet. So, I mean, it could be, uh, I'm sorry, six cubits is estimated. A lot of people estimate anywhere between nine and 11 feet tall. Big dude, right? Giant dude. Verse five, he had a bronze. Oh, by the way, how tall is he? How many cubits? Six. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed about 5,000 5, shekels of bronze. It's huge. He also had bronze greaves uh, on his legs and bronze javelins slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his head, uh, the head of his spear weighed. Now, by the way, guess how many, how many weapons he has? It lists six of them. So he's six cubits high, and there's six instruments, and it says the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield, his shield carrier also walked before him. So I think it's really interesting that Six weapons, six cubits high, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels. Do you think that's an accident? No, it's not an accident. And he's a picture of the Antichrist, you know? And it's just uh, very interesting. Another uh, picture of the Antichrist is Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Do you remember the image they made of Nebuchadnezzar? And you had to worship the image. By the way, Revelation 13 says the beast, they'll be making an image of the beast that you have to worship. And you know what the image was? You know how wide it was? Six cubits wide. You know how high it was? 60 cubits high. You know how many instruments were used, it mentions, to worship him? Six instruments. How do you know that? There it is again, 666. And Nebuchadnezzar was a clear picture of Antichrist. And they were being exalted. They were exalting themselves. In the book of Revelation, the name of the beast will be everywhere. 
And what will we be praying if we're alive during that time? If we haven't died to go be with the Lord yet, we'll be praying, Father, hallowed be your name. Let your name be glorified. Yet we will look throughout the earth and we'll say, wow, Christians are being persecuted for Jesus' name's sake. And Jesus says, Father, you've given to me to manifest your name. And when you're saying Jesus is Lord, God is salvation, you're honoring the Father. You're exalting the Father. But it's interesting, during the time of the Antichrist, and right now, you're seeing it right now, you know what? You have people involved in Hollywood and the music industry. I'm telling you right now, the most popular music, I mean, a lot of the popular music exalts Satan by name, exalts witchcraft, exalts and honors the occult and so forth. Not the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, we're in those times and we're praying, yeah, we see the world rejects Christ and you hear his name at work as a cuss word over and over again. But we're praying, millions of Christians are praying, Father, our Father, hallowed be your name. And our prayer will be answered. Our prayer will be answered. But you know what? Before it is answered, in Revelation 13, verse 4, it says, men worship the dragon. That is Satan. The whole world's going to be devil worshipers, man. That's what it says. Men worship the dragon because he had given the authority of the beast. And they also worship the beast and ask, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. Who's he going to blaspheme? Says he exalts himself above all that is called God or is worshipped as God. So he's definitely be blaspheming Christ. He'll be blaspheming the Father in heaven. He says he'll speak evil of the saints and wear them out. He says he'll speak against God in heaven in the book of Daniel. So it's interesting. But guess what's going to happen? Even in Revelation 16, I won't take you there because we looked at it recently. In Revelation 16, it says that when they get the, when these when they, those who've taken the name of the beast or the number of his name, or or his name, a grievous sore will appear on their hand, and they're going to blaspheme God in heaven. But guess what's going to happen? It says when the day of the Lord takes place. In Revelation chapter six, when it shows the sixth seal. It says the Antichrist who's defying God and the kings of the earth and so forth that we read about in Revelation 16. You see these same kings, these men that are anti-God who've united together at Armageddon to fight against Christ. You see them you know, going to the rocks, going to the mountains, remember that? Crying, fall on us! They'd rather be crushed by the rocks than face, they hide us, it says, from the wrath of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the, all, the, the, the great day of his wrath has come. So that great day of wrath is coming. Guess what? The Antichrist, the beast. It says the beast and the false prophet will be there with his armies in Revelation 19 ready to make war with Christ and it'll just wipe them out. The beast will be taken and with him the false prophet and they, two of them will be cast in, it says, to the lake of fire. So guess what? Then Christ will come back. That's at Christ's second coming. Revelation 19.11, just before that, says he comes on his white horse. And he has a name written, amen? King of kings and Lord of lords, amen? And the word, a banner of word of God across him. And man, he, his name is going to be exalted in the earth. In fact, look at Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Verse 2. The Lord, uh, the word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 1, I guess. 
<laughs> now verse 2. Now it will come about that in the last days, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that we may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will what? Hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. The signs of the times is nation will be against nation and kingdom against kingdom up until Christ's coming. But when the, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he'll establish his throne. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. There'll be a big cleavature in the Mount of Olives, big earthquake. Water will come through the Mount of Olives. They've discovered all kinds of water in Israel, basins of water under the Mount of Olives and elsewhere. And that water will go like a stream into uh, the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea will come to life and people can fish in that which is going to be a miracle. You cannot fish in the Dead Sea right now. And it's going to be awesome. And the, and the nations of the earth will come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting because guess what's going to happen at that time? At that time, the Antichrist's name is no longer exalted. In fact, look at verse 11. The proud look of humanity will be brought low. No more gay pride parades. The proud look of humanity will be brought low. And the arrogance of people will be humbled. And what? And what? The Lord, amen, the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. Hallowed be thy name will be answered. Amen? Can I hear an amen? amen? Praise God. Look at verses 17 through 21. The pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of men will be abased. And the Lord alone will, and the Lord what? alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols will be completely vanished. Men will go into the caves, into the rocks, and the holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord. Sound familiar? And the splendor of his majesty. And he arises to make the earth tremble. In that day, men will cast away uh, to the moles and to the bats their idols of silver and, and, and their idols of gold, which they have made uh, for themselves to worship in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. When he arises to make the earth tremble, stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils. For why should he be esteemed? Get your eyes off of men. Amen. Get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get your eyes on the Father in heaven. Amen. And test anything any man, including myself, and especially myself, if you come to our church, whatever I teach, make sure it's according to Scripture. Amen. You want to make sure you're holding fast to God's Word. Amen. So it's important. It's imperative that we exalt the name of the Lord. So guess what? When you say pray, when you pray, hallowed be thy name, guess what you're praying? Lord, come back. Destroy the Antichrist and exalt your name and may your name alone be exalted in the earth and may you be alone be praised. Amen? Amen. Do you see, the, you see there's an end time context to the very beginning of this prayer. Are you with me? But there's also a present day context. Hallowed be thy name. Lord, may you be glorified in my life. May you be glorified in my family. May you be glorified in our church. May you be glorified in, in my walk for you. May you be glorified at my work through my testimony when I'm around people. Amen? May I be, may I be jealous for your name. Amen? So let's pray. And, and that prayer has application for now, but also has an end time application as well. And by the way, look at the next part of the prayer. Hallowed by the name of the second petition is thy kingdom come. Amen. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right now, his will, is his will being done on earth? Are people doing his will that you know? No. No. Absolutely not. But we're praying that his kingdom comes and that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And one day it says he will come and he will rule with a rod of iron. Amen. And it's interesting, when we pray, thy kingdom come, and I'm not going to go in depth in this part. Why? Because when we edited the book of Revelation, I went into some scriptures that show you how the saints are praying, and in answer to their prayers, what happens? The Lord Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. Remember that? And just a quick little review of that, in Revelation chapter 5, you have the saints of the, or Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, you have the saints under the altar Right? They're praying to God, how long until you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're crying out for him to, to come and, and take over like the widow in Luke chapter 18 that continued to pray. Remember that? We talked about this recently. And she, and, and the, the, she continued to beseech the judge to avenge the evil man that was attacking her and hurting her. And he didn't fear God. He didn't fear man. He wouldn't do anything about it. But she kept coming to him. She kept coming to him. And she finally wore him out. He finally avenged her enemy and took care and brought justice. And Jesus basically says, how much more will your Father in heaven do this for you, for, for, for his elect? He says, even so will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes. In other words, just faith has to do with crying out to God during, when things get really ugly. And I've already told you, man, in Revelation chapter 6, when they're crying out, how long do you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That right after that, that's in the fifth seal. Then you see the sixth seal. And it shows you a picture of the end. Right? And what happens? Remember that? That's when the kings of the earth and the mighty men and so forth cry out and run and beg the rocks, to, the mountains to fall on them. Right? To hide them from the great day of his wrath. That's a picture of those prayers being answered. And then, guess what? Then you go to Revelation chapter 8 and you see the trumpets blow. It backs up a bit. And we know it backs up because Revelation chapter 7 shows you how he's going to seal the 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe. Amen. And a great multitude that no man can number will come out of the great tribulation before these judgments come. So it backs up to say, hey, guess what? God's going to take care of his people before these judgments come. Then it starts up again to show you what leads up to the end with the trumpets. And when the, just before the trumpets blow, what happens? The prayers of the saints are brought to the altar, Right? And they're put on the altar and they burn up as incense before God, right? And guess what happens, man? The trumpets start blowing. And they bring you to the last trumpet. When Paul said we'd be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. They bring you to the seventh trumpet. When it says in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of Christ. Become the kingdom, I'm sorry, singular, of Christ. Thy kingdom come, amen? Woo, what has just happened there, you guys? All those prayers. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Amen? are put on that altar. All those prayers that you prayed, all those times that you prayed, thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? Those prayers are all brought before God on that altar. And then the seven trumpets start blowing. Then the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and it specifically says, he who was and is, but no longer does it say, remember, and is to come in the Greek. He was and he is. He's no longer to come because he just came. It says he took his great power and began to reign. Revelation 11, 15 through 19, when you read that passage there with, at the seventh trumpet. And it's there that he rewards his saints, the small and the great, it says. Your prayers are answered, but also you get rewarded at that time. What a good deal. Amen? He avenges his elect. And praise God, there is faith on the earth still. 
And it's at that time where it says his name alone will be exalted. Amen? No longer the name of the Antichrist. Right now we see names like Joe Biden, this great fearless leader of ours. You know, what in the world's going on with our country? You know? It's just a crazy, it's like, it's just a mockery, all the stuff that's going down. But pray for him. Father, we pray that you would wake that guy up and help him to see Jesus and fall on his face and be born again. And same with the other leaders in this nation and around the world, as many as possible, Lord. So heartbreaking. So it's crazy. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, I'm looking at that clock, man. And I'm like, man, do I really only have 22 minutes left? Okay, am I going to get through this? Yes, by the grace of God. Your, uh, uh, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Does that have a, a, a application to us now? Absolutely. Give us this day our daily bread. Amen? We cry out to the Lord for our daily bread. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a beautiful part of this prayer because the scriptures say, you know, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. We depend on the Father. Amen? And give us this day our daily bread, Lord. It's important to pray for our daily bread. And, uh, and not take it for granted because how many of you, you know, just go to Google, you go to Amazon, or you just go to your fridge, or you just go to the store, you, you know, and, and guess what? You think, oh, it's always there. It may not always be there for you. And the fact that it is there, you need to give thanks to the Lord for that, amen? Because it's all by His grace that we have anything, amen? So we need to be very, very thankful. We need people of thanksgiving, not say more, more, more. We need to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. But if you're in need, say, Lord, please help me. And guess what? He says He'll answer our needs you know, to, according to his riches and glory. Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. It's a beautiful uh, truth. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. But guess what? This prayer is going to be prayed probably more than ever during the tribulation period when you can't buy or sell as a Christian. You think you'll be praying, give us this day our daily bread more maybe? Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Give us this day our daily bread. That'll be a very, very important prayer. It's important right now to be thankful and to pray. And there's a lot of people around the earth who struggle getting food. So we, we all need to pray and be grateful for when we pray that. Okay? And when I look at that prayer, uh, it's actually very interesting in the Greek. It's like, uh, give us this day our daily bread. And it's very interesting in the Greek. It is a, uh, some believe it's speaking of Christ as the bread of life because it's like supra, you know, bread. And I, bread is a picture of Christ. So when I pray that part of the prayer, I pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Please meet our needs for your riches and glory. And thank you for so, so much for meeting our needs. But I also pray, Father, give me more of Jesus. Give me more of Jesus in my life. Give me more of the bread of life in my life. May I be filled with his love and his life. Amen. That's part of my prayer as well. And guess what? Now and later, you're going to want more of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And praise God, one, one day we'll be filled to the max and overflowing where we can't contain any more of him because we've, accept, because we've seen him now face to face and we're with him now and forevermore in eternity. Amen. But you know what? It's interesting because during Elijah was a really powerful picture of the tribulation period. There's 42 months, which is three and a half years. The great tribulation period is three and a half years. And there was three and a half years where he's being chased. Uh, Ahab, who's a picture of the Antichrist, and Jezebel, his wife, a witch, she's called a witch, a picture of the a false prophet, perhaps. Uh, she wants, she's trying to kill him, right? Uh, there's 42 months of famine, no rain. It's a, it's a picture of the tribulation period. He's a prophet of God. He represents believers. But you know what's interesting about that? 
What did the Lord do during those 42 months? Remember how the oil was and the meal that belonged to the widow was multiplied? Remember the ravens? Listen to this, 1 Kings 17, 4 through 6. You will drink from the brook, God tells Elijah, and I have ordered the ravens, I've ordered the ravens, isn't it cool that God orders the birds around, to feed you there. I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and the bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Isn't that cool? I mean, that would be pretty cool. Like, man, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I don't know how you're going to do this. All of a sudden, a bunch of ravens come up and just drop food in front of you. Okay? Hey, don't drop it in the dirt. Let me catch it, you know. But I'm like, oh, I could drink right from the brook, you know. It's just, it's powerful. And it's like, it's not going to be that way for everybody, but for some people, perhaps. And we know in Revelation 12, the, the Jewish believers, the woman in Revelation 12 is the Jewish believers, or Jews that are crying out to Yahweh, right, uh, that, that God, the Lord's going to reveal himself to, and they'll see the one who's pierced. But they're, they're Jews that truly want to follow Yahweh and don't want to follow the Antichrist. And God, by his grace, is drawing them out to the wilderness. And there he nourishes them, it says. He protects them from the Antichrist army, and he also nourishes them for 1,260 days. He takes care of them. He feeds them. And there's a lot of pictures like that, you know. Look at how God took care of the Jews during the 10 plagues, Amen where they even had light in their dwellings in the land of Goshen, right there in Egypt. So it's going to be awesome, guys. So give us this day our daily bread. We'll definitely have an end time complex or context as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, well, and by the way, we're right now in the wilderness in this world. The Bible compares us to the wilderness people in Israel when they were going to the promised land. Heaven is our promised land. And we see in the book of Jude, it compares, uh, it talks about, it warns, uh, for if God did not spare the angels, neither will he spare us if we rebel against him. And it talks about after God saved a people out of Egypt, he destroyed those who did not believe. That's around verses 5 and 6. And he's talking about how we better watch out because we're like those who were delivered from Egypt, but we have not yet entered this uh, promised land. We've entered in spirit. We spiritually belong to the Lord. Amen. We're in the kingdom. We've been translated. It says, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians 1, 11 through 13. Yet there is that final inauguration because we have, but it's not yet fulfilled fully yet because one day we will, as it says, inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? We have eternal life, it says, but we also will inherit, Jesus said, eternal life. Isn't that interesting? So it's interesting as well that as we're in our pilgrimage, and 1 Corinthians 10 uses that same picture, how we're like the Jews in the wilderness right now as we live in this world system. We see it also in 1 Peter chapter 1, where sojourners here passing through. We see this picture throughout the New Testament that we are the new wilderness people. We're the new wilderness people. And we need to persevere. And what did they rely on every day for so many years as they, what was it they relied on? To be fed from heaven? Manna, okay? Okay, they had manna, and it tasted like it had some honey in it, it says. It's very interesting. Uh, and they, God would give them manna, and they'd wake up in the morning and go grab it like dew, man. they just go pick it up. It's also called in the Scripture angel's food. Isn't that interesting? And he gave it to them. Yet guess what? They were not supposed to take extra unless it was just the day before the Sabbath. Then they could take a more for the next day because he didn't want them to work on the Sabbath. 
But what was his point there? Rely on him. If you took too much, what would happen to your manna? It would spoil. What was he teaching them? To rely on him. To rely on him. The Lord God wants you to rely on him. Once you start, stop praying, our Father, who art in heaven, you stop praying, thy kingdom come. You start praying, give us this day our daily bread. And you start thinking that you are sufficient and you could just get by with your own brains and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and, and I got it handled, man. I've got the world spinning on my, my finger. Boom. That's when you're going to start to fail because God wants you to recognize, amen, that salvation comes from him, but also your physical sustenance comes from him, that he's your provider. Don't be cocky. Don't be proud. Because guess what? Uh, it's all going to get reversed. There'll be one day where Christians will be taken off in hiding. They'll be beheaded, it says. They'll be put in prison. That's in Revelation 13. They'll close the doors and the wrath of God will pass over them and not touch them. Isaiah 26. Uh, they will also flee, you know, flee, flee to those in Judea. Flee to the mountains, he says, in Jerusalem. Flee to the mountains. When the Antichrist sets up shop, that's because he set up shop right there. So there's be all kinds of Christians doing all sorts of things. Because sometimes I got asked on a, a debate I had called on, the, on my debate with uh, Dr. Stauffer on the time of the rapture. I was asked about, you know, no, I'm sorry. I think this was a, a, no, this was a panel I was on in Canada. And I was asked about what Christians ought to be doing in the end times. What should we do in the end times if the Antichrist rises in our time period? And different people had different answers. But I said, you know what, honestly... It's not a one-size-fits-all. I gave some of those scenarios I just mentioned and a couple others as well. Because there's a lot of scenarios in Scripture. So it's critical that all of us stay close to the Lord. Amen? So we can see what He has for us if, things are, if the end times encroach more and more and we end up facing the Antichrist in our time. Uh, or our children do. Or, you know, your, your, your friends do. Or people, we, our brothers and sisters do after we depart. We all want to be ready, amen? But the cool thing is this, the cool thing is this, his name will one day be hallowed around the earth, amen? And exalted above every other name. In fact, it'll be the only name that's exalted. That's, it's all going to happen. So your prayers aren't in vain because you're either going to be here when it goes down or you're coming back with Jesus when it goes down. Amen? So either way, we're praying for that day. And, and it's going to happen just as all the other prophecies have been fulfilled. This prophecy will one day be fulfilled. But the cool thing is, is when this prophecy gets fulfilled, you'll be with Christ. And you'll be resurrected, incorruptible, imperishable, immortal. Amen? And he will get to do his name. So it's important that we rely on him daily and that we learn to rely on him. If you like, I've just got to store all kinds of stuff up. I'm not saying you can't do that. Joseph stored up stuff, right? For Egypt. Uh, we see that with the ant, you know, stores up. It says in the book of Proverbs. So when the, the, the and, and a wise man also looks at what's coming too. But I don't believe it's a one size fits all. You know, I believe I'm getting older, man. I'm thinking, you know, I remember when I was young. I'm like, hey, where am I going to go? And my wife said, where are we going to go? You know, if it breaks out in our lifetime. Now I told my wife, you know what? More and more as I'm getting older, I'm thinking I just might have a prison ministry, you know, <laughs> full time, you know, always there telling people about Jesus. I don't know. You know, I still love to hike and run and stuff. So, but to me, it's not to the fleet of foot. It's not to the strong. It's, it's about the Lord and having wisdom in your heart. Amen. I mean, the Lord can, you can be crippled, amen, physically. And if he wants to get you through it, amen, he can. Because he's, he's a miraculous God, amen. He can make you invisible to other people. He'll get you through whatever. Or you, you may just, you know, no, I'm, 
they execute you right there because you won't stop witnessing. Because Jesus said they'll bring you up before the magistrates, before the civil leaders. They'll bring you up. He says, don't premeditate what you say at that time because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. Amen? So a lot of us are be just testifying. I think that I'm going to have a street ministry, and my street ministry might just go to the prison ministry. Or my head just might roll down the street. But I'll get that back, okay? And I'll get some of the hair I'm losing back and everything else, you know? So the next part, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I know my time, I've got like 10 minutes left. So I want to encourage you guys, this is a very, very important part of the prayer. Important right for right now and important for the future as well. It's important right now because you want to make sure you're forgiven. You want to make sure you're right with God, amen? You want to make sure you're not walking around, going to church once in a while, but under God's wrath because you have not yet repented and asked the Lord for forgiveness and made, been right with God. You don't want to, th- oh, well, I'm going to church. Isn't that enough? No. Remember the guy that went to church or he went to temple and he talked about how great he was? I give to the poor. I fast twice a week. I thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy over there, that tax gatherer. That guy wasn't right with God. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He wasn't seeking God's mercy and grace. He didn't humble himself. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. But of the guy he was pointing at, that guy couldn't even look up to heaven because he was so ashamed because his tax gatherer. He was so messed up, man. He beat his chest, you know, cried out to God, you know, God have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of these two fellows do you think left right with God, justified? The humble man, man. man. And he left forgiven. You have to humble yourself and say, God, have mercy on me. Amen. Lord, forgive me. And it's interesting because we're praying, Lord, forgive me as I, or forgive us. I'm not just praying for yourself. Again, Again, remember, we get these ours and these us's throughout this prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So you want to pray for your, not just your own heart, but for others. Because if you refuse to forgive someone, the Lord will not forgive you. That's just one of the clearest things in Scripture. And people don't like to talk about it. I can't tell you when I'm going, driving down the road and I hear Christian radio, sometimes people act like you're just automatically forgiven all the time. Just, you just wrote, got, wrote on the road and they talk about, oh, when God forgave your sins, he forgave your sins, past, present, and future. Uh, where does it say that? It says he forgave us in 2 Peter chapter 1, our past sins, okay? When you commit future sins, you go before the Lord. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's for us as Christians, okay? We need to keep praying that. We need to keep walking in the light. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins, amen? So we just continue to pursue Jesus, we continue to stay in love with Jesus because he says if we don't forgive others, he won't forgive us. In Mark 11, he says, when you stand praying, make sure you forgive others so the Father will pr- pr- forgive you. I mean, it's all over the New Testament. You remember Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. How many times do I forgive my brother? Jesus, do I have to forgive him up to, you know, s- you know seven times? He doesn't say he have to. Up to just, well, he does, kind of. Jesus says, not seven times. Seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. And do you think Peter started doing the math? Hmm, let me see, how much is that? 490? 490, Jesus? Well, yeah, it's 490, but he's missed the point. The point is keep forgiving. Amen? Aren't you glad the Father did not even stop at 490 with you? The psalmist says, my sins are like the hairs of my head, a lot more than 490. But he said, he's basically saying keep forgiving. 
Because then he warned them, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, he says to Peter, he says you, and it's the plural in the Greek, him and the other disciples, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, neither will you be forgiven. In fact, he tells them you'll be cast into a place of torment. That's in Matthew 18. And that's, he's talking to those who are forgiven already. Children of God, don't tell me a child of God is once forgiven, always forgiven. Because he gives a picture there of a guy who refuses to forgive somebody else after being forgiven 10,000 talents, which is like 10,000 lifetimes of earnings. He's forgiven all of that. And then Jesus talks about how he's thrown into the place of torment until he pays the last penny and nobody could pay it off. That's why we need Jesus, amen? So don't ever fall into the lie of once forgiven, always forgiven. The Bible does not teach that. And this is, this is real important for your life right now, that you don't let bitterness take you over. The Bible says in, in Hebrews 12, verse 15, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up in you that defiles many, amen? People become bitter and they start gossiping. They start defying other, defiling other people. And they get used by Satan to turn people away from Christ. It's a horrible thing. The Bible says be angry and sin not. And it says don't give a foothold to the devil in that context. The Bible says to forgive for we're not ignorant of Satan's devices in 2 Corinthians chapter, one, or chapter 2, verses like 8 through 11 and 12 there. So it shows me, wow, Satan is very much into trying to get us to not forgive because he knows he cannot snatch us out of the Father's hand. He knows he can't separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He can't just pluck us out. Harpazo is the Greek word when it says he can't snatch us. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. He can't do that. But he's a father of lies. He has to get you to leave the Father and stop abiding in Christ as the vine abides in the branch. He has to get you to turn away from the Lord. So if you're hateful and mean-spirited, bitter at everybody else and spitting venom at them and mean-spirited gossip and trying to hurt people and so forth, but then you're saying, but Lord, I thank you that you love me and you forgive me. Mm, nah, uh you got to say, Lord, have mercy on me and help me forgive others so I too can be forgiven. Amen? And by the way, that's just faith. That's, that's I should say, that's a result of faith. Faith that works is dead. You say, well, aren't we saved by grace through faith? Yeah. But guess what? True faith works. True faith has fruit. And if I'm refusing to forgive someone, that shows you that I'm not in the faith at that moment. Because if I'm, re if I'm rejecting what Jesus teaches and refusing to obey him, is that truly faith? That's not faith. The Bible talks about the obedience of faith. As Christians, we need to be obedient to the Lord. Amen? And any kind of Christianity that does not stress obedience to the Lord is not true Christianity. And this is so important for the last days. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, don't think that I've come to bring peace on the earth, but a sword. For man's foes or enemies shall be they of their own household, mother against daughter and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Amen. His word brings a separation for people that hate the light will hate you, as we already said that Jesus warned about. Amen. And Jesus said in Mark 13, 12, brother will betray brother to death. And father his child. Children will rise up against their parents to have them put to death. Matthew 24, 10. In the end times, Jesus says, and they, then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. So guess what? In the end times, your own siblings, your own children, your own family members will turn against you and turn you into the magistrates because you're refusing to take the mark of the beast or because you're refusing to give up your Bible or because you're refusing to stop talking about Jesus and they'll turn you in because guess what? You're one of those bigots. You must be a racist because you don't accept homosexuality as something 
something that's beautiful and good. So you must just be evil. You must be a racist. Like, no, I just love Jesus. I want to follow his word. No, 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 no. You need, you, need to turn, you need to turn away from Jesus or you're a bigot. And guess what? You'll be hated, but you'll have knives in your back from possibly even family members, even former brothers and sisters or former brothers and sisters who claim to be Christ. All of a sudden, you'll be having all these knives in your back and it'll be really hard to forgive. And guess what? You refuse and you'll become hateful and everything else possibly because Jesus said in that context, lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. You want to make sure your love doesn't grow cold. And right after that in verse 13, he said, he that endures the end will be saved. You have to say, no, I'm going to take those knives out of my back. In fact, Lord, you take those knives out of my back. You heal me and help my heart be soft and help me pray for them because those former believers or uh, brothers and sisters or children or whoever, daughters-in-laws you know, and daughters, those, for, those folks, guess what? They're hellbound. My heart needs to break for them because they're going to burn forever. And you just look at the bigger picture and say, Lord, they really hurt me. But guess what? I'm so grateful that you've saved me, that you've forgiven me, and I've sinned against you far worse than anyone sinned against me. So Lord, help me forgive them. Otherwise, I know you will refuse to forgive me. Amen? Amen. So it's important to keep our love light lit and keep our mercy on uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. The last request. Last request. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That last phrase is not in the best manuscripts. But lead us to te- not in temptation and deliver us from evil is. And that's a very, very, very important part of the prayer. Because guess what? The world's going to be full of like no other time in the end of days. Evil. It'll be full of evil like you've never seen it. In fact, Jesus said it'll be so bad at that time that if he doesn't return, no flesh would be saved. He said there'll be greater tribulation at that time in Matthew 24 than there ever has been before or there ever will be after. That means even after the millennium when Satan's let loose for a short time, it will not be like the great tribulation period in the end of days. And anything that people face, even the Jews at the Holocaust, is nothing compared to what's going to happen during the tribulation period when it's global, okay? And, and if you think mankind can't become that wicked, just look at what happened just decades ago in the last century over 100 million people killed under uh, communist atheism. Well, a lot more are going to die under the Antichrist. And we need to be praying right now, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. You want to make sure you do not give in to taking the mark of the beast because that will be a huge temptation. In Revelation 3.10, it gives a promise to those who are keeping his word, those who are persevering. And it says to him, who has, it's, it's a promise to the overcomer. It says in Revelation 3.10 that he that uh, has kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep him out of the great tribulations which will come upon the entire earth to try those who dwell upon the earth. And the Greek word out of is is ek. And that Greek preposition ek has to do with being in a space and then leaving that space. So it's not talking about not going into tribulation. It's being talked about, it's talking about what? Coming out of tribulation. And the context there is spiritual survival doesn't mean you won't be uh, beheaded or imprisoned, but it means that the Lord will keep you from taking the mark of the beast, from worshiping the Antichrist. Because thou hast kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep thee out of the great tribulation that will come upon the world. It's not keep you, or apo, A-P-O, which is away from, it's ek. Ek is a preposition that means out of, to come out from something. 
And that same word is used in Revelation 7 of this great multitude that no one can number from every nation, people, and tongue that have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb who he says will, be t- will come out of the great tribulation period. They'll, be, they'll come out of it. Dead or alive, they'll come out. But they'll come out with their robes washed. They will have persevered in their faith. They will not given in to the world. In fact, that word ek is used in Revelation, I'm sorry, John 17, 15, when Jesus says this. He says, Father, I do not pray that thou shouldest take them out of the world, rapture us. We'll be raptured, but that's at the end of the tribulation. But that thou shouldest what? Keep them from the evil one. In the Greek, there is tereo ek. Keep is tereo in the Greek. And keep, and then the word from is ek. Keep them from the evil one. But not by taking us out of the world. He can deliver us right here in the here and now. Amen. By giving us strength to persevere through times of trial. Amen. And guess what? It's imperative that you understand and know this. We pray, lead us not in temptation. Jesus said to his apostles, pray that you do not enter into temptation for the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to be people of prayer, amen? And I'll say this in the last two minutes I want to share with you is in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand fast in the what? Evil day. And commentators, I probably have 20 commentaries on the book, a book of Ephesians that I've consulted, even on just this verse. And you know what? A lot of them will point out the evil day is any day because every day is evil. Jesus said sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Uh, earlier in the book, Paul says, uh, redeem the t- time for the days are evil, Ephesians 5, right before that. So yeah, the days are evil. So that's a great prayer for every day, Amen. But there's also special days of evil, like Job had, right? There's certain times in your life where you face more evil than you generally face, or you face, you can think of, if I asked you, hey, what was the greatest trial you went through, or what was the greatest assault the enemy ever brought upon you? Most people here would be able to say, it was this time in my life where it was like the book of Job, and whether or not it maybe it's bad, but it was, wow, the hedges went up, and man, I went through a really hard time, but I kept my eyes on Jesus, and by his grace, he got me through it. That's it. We also face an evil day where we, special, we face those special evil days. Amen? And a lot of commentators will say that. And I believe, and then there's another viewpoint. It's dealing with the tribulation period. Many commentators, great, some of the greatest commentators of Ephesians say, no, this is talking about the tribulation period. And what's interesting is many of them say that, but they don't tell you why. They don't give you the evidence for that. There, there is a definite article there, the evil day, not just an evil day. So it could be speaking just based on that. That could be a reference to the end of days. But I believe there's greater evidence. Why? Because he says, put on the full arm of God so you can stand the evil day. And I notice in the First Thessalonians chapter 5 when he talks about the tribulation period and the world will be saying peace and safety, right? And they'll, 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 the people of darkness, they'll be against us. He says, put on the helmet of salvation there. He says, take the shield, right, of faith. He talks about taking the armor in light of the great tribulation period. So when I look at Ephesians, I'm like, Paul, I know what you're talking about in Thessalonians. So in Ephesians, you very well, it looks like you very well have the tribulation period in mind. But you know what? I believe personally it refers to any evil day, special evil days, and the biggest evil day. Because they're all evil days. Amen? So I always love to pray, lead us not into temptation, Lord. Help us to overcome temptation. If you're struggling with temptation, be praying that prayer. Amen. And deliver us from evil. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ will come back 
and he'll deliver us from the Antichrist, and he will reign, and the beast and the false prophet will be thrown in the lake of fire, and later on, Satan himself will be thrown there. Amen? And Christ will reign, and there'll be no more evil days. Amen? We look forward to that time, and it's going to be so beautiful and so powerful. And David, when he faced Goliath, who was a picture of the Antichrist, slung that stone into his head, and it sunk in his head. When when Nebuchadnezzar, that image, that, that dream that you know, God revealed in the book of Daniel, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, Daniel had a dream, they both had a dream about the same Antichrist kingdom, but the big image, right, that Nebuchadnezzar had, there's a hand, there's a stone cut out without hands, remember that stone? Bam! It destroys that and crushes that stone, that thing to powder. Woo! Goliath, 666, crushed. The Antichrist kingdom, 666, crushed. Nebuchadnezzar and with Goliath. By a stone. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, I am the stone that the builders rejected. But he talks about whoever the stone crushes will be crushed to powder. Amen. Jesus says, I'm the rock that we're, he's the rock that we're supposed to build our lives on. Amen. Live for Jesus because everything was passing away and only he and his kingdom will stand and those who belong to him and only us, those who belong to Jesus. The scriptures say everything will be shaken except those in his kingdom will not be shaken. Amen. So make sure we live for Jesus. Can we all please stand? So do you see how the Lord's Prayer has a present day context? But also it has a what? Last day's context. Amen.